Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is a Law & Crime Network presentation. This episode contains graphic depictions of sexual assault and violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Your time in college is often referred to as the best years of your life. It's supposed to be a time of learning, not just about your chosen academic topic, but about yourself too. Many young students leave their parents and their hometowns and experience the first taste of independence on the cusp of adulthood. This period in our lives leaves us vulnerable. We struggle to fit in and find our place in unfamiliar surroundings. But if there was one place for those who feel that way, it was Sarah Lawrence College. I often call the college the land of broken toys. One of the school's slogans is, we're different, so are you. This is a quality of Sarah Lawrence College that one man exploited to create what has all the hallmarks of a cult on campus in late 2010. My name's Elizabeth Rome. I'm an actress and a proud Sarah Lawrence College graduate. Composed from thousands of pages of transcripts, exhibits, audio files, first-hand accounts, and contemporary research, this long crime production uses voice actors to give you an immersive insight into one of the most bizarre cases in recent memory. This is Devil in the Dorm. In our last episode, we detailed how Larry Ray inserted, insinuated, and cajoled his way into the lives of Sarah Lawrence students. We learned how he gained their trust and elicited information about their insecurities, turmoil, and relationships with their family and friends that he could use against them. We also learned that at this point, many of his victims considered him a kind, intelligent, and rapt listener whom they trusted with their deepest secrets. When I first heard about what Larry Ray did, I quickly arrived at a simple and shattering conclusion that, as a Sarah Lawrence graduate myself, it could have been me. No matter how tempting it might be to imagine myself above that kind of coercive control or whatever pride I might have in my personal strength of mind and will, I recognized immediately upon hearing about this case that if a master manipulator targeted me at an impressionable age, exploited my insecurities and vulnerabilities, and embarked upon a campaign of extreme violence and abuse to put me under his thumb, my ambitions and my future may also have been stolen. In the last episode, we also heard about the horrific abuse endured by Daniel Levin. By June 2013, Daniel had begun to come to terms with what exactly had happened while living with Larry Ray, and he emailed his tutor at Sarah Lawrence to explain why he couldn't return a book he had borrowed. 
The email is included in Daniel's book, Sloanham Woods 9. It reads in part, I know exactly where your book is, but I absolutely cannot go retrieve it because it is at the apartment where I lived off campus during the summer after sophomore year, the summer after junior year, and the first semester of senior year. When I lived there, I was a member of what I can now call a cult. Over those two years, I had a relationship with a man who physically and psychologically abused me, literally beating me up and sometimes actually systematically torturing me occasionally in front of a group of my peers. I was only allowed to sleep on average maybe four hours a night while sharing a one-bedroom apartment with seven people. They were trying constantly to rewrite my memories, my logic. It was brainwashing. I don't know how to explain my acceptance of this at the time except that I was completely terrified and completely confused. As Daniel was opening up about his experience, Larry Ray had brought some of those living with him at the apartment to Pinehurst, North Carolina, to stay at Larry's stepfather, Gordon Ray's property there. For months, Larry forced the young adults to work without pay, digging ditches, tearing up the lawn, and laying sod with professional equipment. Here, Larry used the same control tactics he had used in New York. He would accuse the group members of criminal activity, restrict their access to food, water, and sleep, and he would demand that they work to pay off what he insisted they owed him. When his words weren't enough, Larry inflicted senseless violence on the people he accused of sabotaging him. Claudia's view of Larry had completely changed since she wrote the email to Sarah Lawrence informing them that she was concerned about his presence in her dorm. By this point, she actively sought out Larry's company. Larry bought Claudia a ticket to Pinehurst on June 6, 2013, when she agreed to come down and help out with the work they were doing. She testified about her time there at the trial in March 2022. I was very dependent on Larry. The relationship meant pretty much the world to me at that point. So for him offering for me to come on, like, a trip and help them was appealing to me. When Claudia arrived, she was stunned by the condition of the property. It was completely ripped up. Like, the side yard was just dirt. There were plants and potters everywhere. There were buckets of stone and sand. The front yard was also ripped up because they were laying sod. So there were pallets of sod that had yet to be laid or had been laid and taken up that were rotting. It was clear that there was just a lot of work to do to even get the house back to anything remotely acceptable. I went down there to help Larry do yard work. He was working on his stepfather's lawn. And shortly after I got there, it became just... It's hard to describe. We were doing work all day. Every day. We weren't eating a lot. The people who were down there, myself, Isabella and Felicia were on a daily basis having mental breakdowns. Essentially what I would describe as mental breakdowns. There were multiple confrontations between myself and Larry, and at least I remember Felicia and Larry that were extremely disturbing and physical in a way that hadn't been before. I had never done any yard work before, and we were doing very difficult, demanding, physical, labor tasks that I had no idea how to do. 
And constantly Larry would tell us that we did them all wrong and we're trying to sabotage them and we had to redo them. And so we'd spend sometimes till like 3 or 4 a.m. redoing, laying sod. It was... I'm not really sure how to sum it up. For weeks, Claudia, Felicia, and Yelitsa were forced to do manual labor for hours on end, no matter what the weather was like or if they had no experience carrying out the work they were ordered to do by Larry. Felicia and Yelitsa Rosario had come into the fold after being introduced to Larry by their brother Santos, and it did not take long for their vulnerabilities to be exploited. Larry even limited the amount of time they could spend in the house, whether it was to eat or use the restroom. We did not go in until Larry said we could. We really couldn't go in until Larry said we could. The only reason we ever worked in a downpour, or that I understood at the time that that we would ever work in that kind of condition is because I had been sabotaging something or delaying the project. And because I had done that, we now wasted enough time that we had to try and salvage things in a downpour instead of being done. So it was often, I mean, actually always, when we would work in the rain, it was because myself or someone else had done something wrong and sabotaged something. On one occasion, Isabella and I were digging a drainage pipe in the front yard, and he came to inspect it. And it was getting to be night, and he was like, what are these? And there were little uneven ridges, and he said, you know, who did this? And Isabella said she didn't, and I said I did. And he said, you ruined this. Like, we have to redo this. Why would you sabotage this? And he was standing over the front of it at the very beginning of the ditch looking at the grade. And I was standing behind him like five or six feet with a shovel that I had been using to dig. And and he turned around suddenly and pushed me back down and I fell and it knocked the wind out of me with the shovel and said, I know what you were thinking. You were thinking that you were going to take that shovel and hit me over the head. You wanted to kill me. It was scary. The whole thing was just incredibly, incredibly chaotic and overwhelming. Larry guilt-tripped them into forced labor by telling them that he was doing it to help his stepfather, Gordon, an older man who was going through a difficult divorce from Larry's mother at the time. If the work was not up to Larry's standard, he accused Claudia and the others of intentionally sabotaging the group effort. He also insinuated that their actions would cause Gordon to have a heart attack. There was no way to leave. I was being told all the time that Gordon would die if he saw the property like this. I was starving and hungry and completely, completely overwhelmed by the chaos of the situation. Felicia and Isabella, particularly Felicia, were deteriorating psychologically before my eyes every day. The whole thing was insane, and I did not feel at all that I had any ability to leave whatsoever. Do you know how mean you're being right now and selfish? You know that Gordon's waiting for me to finish this. He wants to get back to his home, and you're preventing him all these weeks. Why? Why did you destroy other people's property? Every time you found out something was valuable or meaningful, you broke it, destroyed it, or threw it away. Why? 
During the six weeks that Claudia spent in North Carolina, she lost 40 pounds. But she testified that the abuse inflicted on Felicio Rosario had reached a new level of extreme. Claudia said in her testimony, I think it was worse than I had ever seen him treat her, certainly. She was different than I had ever seen her. She started talking very childishly and acting very childishly. She was completely normal before this point, or I observed her being completely normal before this point. And it was suddenly like she was no longer a fully competent person in the same way. And it got worse over the time period. And it made it even more marked how bad he was to her. I saw him hit her. Felicia went to Harvard and Columbia Med School and would wear her sweatshirts from that time. And Larry had cut them. And she'd walk around with them cut, wearing these cut sweatshirts. There was one time when she, after a long night of working, I forget what he was confronting her, what the circumstances were, but we were all standing in the garage. Myself, Isabella, Talia, were sitting on the back steps of the garage. And Felicia was just outside the back steps of the garage. And Larry was on the edge of the garage in the road. And Felicia was begging to come back into the house. Like, please let me in and saying stuff like, I'll be good, I'm not bad. And Larry had a push broom and was keeping her away from coming in with the push broom. So, and even, even just the normal things, the normal ways that he was mean or harsh with us, were much worse because of how Felicia was at this time. He had accused her of sabotaging stuff at the house and told her that she was going to go to jail. And they talked about that for a while had multiple confrontations over how she damaged all this property and was going to go to jail. Until Larry was like, one night, okay, Felicia, you're going to go to prison or jail tomorrow. You're going to turn yourself in. And she was like, okay. And to the extent that he even went out, we weren't allowed to eat carbs at the time, like at all. And he went out or someone went out and bought like hamburgers and fries and a milkshake and Larry was like, this is your last meal, Felicia. You can have whatever you want. So we even had a last meal before he drove her in the morning to turn herself in. Felicia also testified about her time in Pinehurst during the trial in March 2022. When Larry drove her off the property, he gave the impression that he was going to take her to the police station to turn herself in for allegedly damaging his property but he changed his mind on the way and claimed she had a breakthrough. Felicia was allowed to return to the house, but her mental state was damaged. In her testimony, she said, I became less and less functional. It's really, it's hard to describe how. Like that whole time period is just like pockets of memories. There are things that I remember happening, but a lot of it is like I can't, like if you're going to describe like being somewhere, you're able to tell like the who, what, when, where, why. I couldn't do that for most of the time in Pinehurst. Larry accused Felicia of damaging the property, interfering with the work, breaking things intentionally, and poisoning him. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. 
as an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Like the others, Felicia was told to write a confession stating what she had done that was so wrong, and the language she used in those confessionals were dictated by Larry's teachings. It was very important that we didn't, and by we, meaning all of us from the apartment, that we didn't make Larry look bad or imply anything negative about him. So I had started the sentence with writing, I wrote, I have to pay, but I changed it to need to pay because I was... I had to take responsibility for the damage that I had done. That's how Larry had taught us. So it wasn't that I have to pay, it's that I need to pay. It was an imperative to do, but more morally and ethically, because I had hurt someone else. So I had to fix the harm that I had done. On one occasion, Felicia was locked outside of the house and made to sleep on the porch for five days. Larry told her that she was unstable and a danger to herself and others. When Felicia asked for medical help, Larry warned her that she would never hear from him again if she went to the hospital. By then, I was completely and utterly dependent on Larry in every way, mentally, emotionally, financially. I had no one else to turn to. He was the only person who existed for me. So the thought of him leaving me was like, I would die. I would cease to exist. That's how scary it was for me. Also, he threatened to destroy my life if we parted ways, especially on bad terms. So not only would I just die, like, mentally, emotionally, like he would destroy me if I wasn't dead already. If I didn't kill myself from him leaving because of the complete and utter pain and anguish of that, because it was really that severe, so if I didn't kill myself then, and I managed to survive, he would finish me off. Yelitsa and Santos were helpless bystanders as their oldest sister began to regress. As they witnessed Felicia's deterioration, Larry blamed them for it, and the divide between once close siblings became increasingly larger under Larry's influence. Santos was still living in the apartment in New York at the time. He testified in March 2022. While he was down there and I was at the apartment with Gordon and working as a waiter, he would periodically call me and tell me how Yalitza had damaged this equipment or that equipment or ruined this project or that project. How she was, uh, she had poisoned them with, like, the chemicals in the shed. And how I needed to make it right. Who was going to pay for all the broken equipment or the wasted chemicals? Santos sent all of his money to Larry to try and pay off the debt he was told his sisters had accrued, and then he was asked to come to Pinehurst himself. When asked how Larry treated him while he was there, Santos testified. Like a slave? Larry had me and Felicia and Isabella do the grunt work, so to speak, and he would just be using machinery. 
He would have us out of the house early morning, like 9 or 10, until the sun went down. Larry would also instruct the members of the group to have sex with each other under the guise of helping them shed their inhibitions. Photographs admitted as evidence at Larry Ray's trial show Felicia, Yelitsa, and Claudia working with heavy machinery in terrible conditions. Videos taken under Larry's instructions in November 2013 document incidents between himself and Felicia and her declining mental state. I've been asking you to stop breaking stuff and stop hurting me and attacking me physically, and you refuse. Get out of my garage. Get out. Get out of my garage. Please leave my garage. I've been asking you all morning. You've wasted two and a half hours. That's irrelevant. Yeah, no, that's I fine. That's good. That's good. Now stop. I love you, Phil. Well, then show me you do. What I'm you're doing ready. isn't loving. Okay, fine. Can I get a hug, please? No. Please. You need to respect other people's work. I don't want to. I want to. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. No, it matters that you want to. That's your choice. But the other person I want to. Want to I love you, too. I love you but now. And person. I love you now, too. And I'll behave better now. Because I don't want to have your attention to that. I want them to be happy, too. I want them to go to Guru Lasso. And I want the other two go to Columbia. I'm not reading Ingrid. I'm reading Ramon. I'm Maritza. Who is Maritza? She is my mother. By the time the group left Pinehurst in late 2013, Santos had sent over $40,000 to Larry, and Yelitsa Rosario had attempted to take her own life. Back in New York, Larry continued to pit the siblings against each other and hold them responsible for the other's actions. In January 2014, when Larry wanted Felicia to stop talking, he instructed Santos to hit himself in the face until she did. A few weeks later, Santos attempted suicide. When he was released, Larry waited just two weeks before threatening to finish him off. Larry recorded his torment on audio tape as he threatened to kill Santos with a hammer and encouraged Santos and Felicia to hold hands and jump out of the window from the high-rise apartment. Give me my hammer. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 yeah, I swear I'll put Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I understand. Oh, I should have break your whole body. I swear oh, I will. No, I know. I made it very simple. You just leap like a frog. Why yeah, your hands jump together? No, so cute. No, that's work. How cute that would be if you both jump. In audio recordings presented at the trial, Talia can be heard joining her father in threatening Santos and calling him a violent criminal who would be sent to jail for supposedly destroying her father's property. Just for destroying all the property you did, you would fall in the category of a violent criminal. Yes. Listening to these audio tapes, is it any wonder that Larry's followers believed Ray to be a man capable of anything? Or that they believed that there would be terrible consequences if they did not tell him what he wanted to hear? Those tapes from March 2014 illustrate a pattern that Larry would torment his victims in front of a captive audience of their peers. The group were encouraged to police each other 
and Santos testified about the effect it had on the group dynamics. He would confront them, and it would become an hours-long interrogation, for lack of a better word, about what they did to him and why did they do it intentionally to him. And he would elicit feedback and commentary from the others in the group. They would mostly stay quiet unless Larry prompted them for commentary, during which they would just agree with whatever Larry was saying. I would say that my relationships with them atrophied, and at a certain point, I was afraid to engage or talk to them because I knew I would end up having to tell Larry what happened and what was said. Eventually, the physical abuse became normalized. Santos testified about the escalating violence perpetrated by Larry Ray. He punched me in the chest. He held a knife to my throat and played it off as a joke. He, like, would do these martial arts moves and holds on me on the pretext of showing me what they were like. He was rough with Aban, with Daniel Levin, with Claudia, here and there with Isabella, and then with my sister, Felicia. In April 2014, Claudia and Yelitsa were admitted to Mount Sinai Hospital for Tylenol overdoses, and Larry assigned the role of in-house doctor to Felicia. Felicia was tasked with compiling patient history charts on members of the group. He wanted to document the progress, so he wanted me to do it since I had the medical training and was already doing it. Ultimately, he had planned on writing a book, so he was planning on writing a book on everyone in the apartment and was going to use it as evidence of how his methods were effective in helping everyone. Claudia's patient history chart was completed in June 2014. By that point, Claudia was living between her father's apartment and her mother's apartment, where Talia was staying. Talia had been allowed to move in with Claudia's mother for free because Claudia was told it would be a way to repay some of the money she owed to Larry for supposedly damaging his equipment. Claudia testified about how Talia came to live with her. She called me one night, not right after, but maybe like a week after I had gotten home, and she called me extremely upset about how I had damaged the sprinkler system and ruined the property and left them with all these repairs and damages. And now I was just gone having fun in New York and they were still dealing with the fallout from all the damage I had done. She asked me to make a list of everything I had damaged so at least they could know what I had done. And I also ended up calling companies to basically request prices to make some sort of, some sort of repair to the property. I think it was a sprinkler system, but I'm not really sure what sort of repair. Claudia was used to this treatment by that stage, and she felt as though saying what Larry wanted to hear was the only way to win favor. I had solidly been in the role of sabotager, the person who's always wanting to damage for a while. Other people were in that role as well to varying degrees, but personally, I felt like everyone only spoke to me because Larry, you know, told them to. I mean, he essentially, he actually told me they only spoke to me because he told them to multiple times, so I felt very ostracized and on thin ice, basically. When confessing to breaking equipment was not enough, Claudia was coerced into confessing to poisoning Larry and Talia. Larry was saying he was sick, Talia was sick, and it was inexplicable to me how they were sick. Talia was actually living at my house at the time. I wasn't living there, but when I first admitted to it, I thought that there was no other way that she could have been sick or these inexplicable symptoms. So I'm like, clearly I was doing it. 
She was living at my house, and I had done all these horrible things to Larry constantly. I said my mother was working with me, and said she was being paid by Teresa, basically linking it to this whole cabal of people that had been established in the group as the evildoers who had been ruining Larry's life, or trying to, for however many years at that point. Like Bernie Carrick, Frank DiTomaso. I wasn't really thinking about what I was confessing to. I was... I mean, it was very... I think I was pretty numb. It was very surreal, and, you know... It wasn't until much later, actually, that I really started thinking about the ramifications of what I was doing. These confessions were held over Claudia, and every so often Larry would threaten to turn her in and have her sent to prison for life. Claudia and the others had been led to believe that Larry Ray worked for the government and had the authority to have them taken away. Is it any mystery how they came over time to believe that their false confessions and those of their peers were true and that each other's imagined debts had a palpable reality? Larry told Claudia that her only hope was that he would have something nice to say about her before she was sent to prison. And that was over a period of years. He described jail in detail to me. He described the size of a prison cell, like made me walk the size of a prison cell. Told me I would never be able to listen to the music I wanted to again. How colors would start to fade after being in prison. He also told me very graphic things about what people would do to me in prison. He told me, I mean, this is very memorable. He told me that because I was, you know, smaller, fat women who were a lot larger than me would basically make me their bitch. And he described how, in graphic detail, how they would, you know, use the restroom, essentially, like, defecate and use my face and tongue as toilet paper. He told me that they would cut my face because... I had, like, a decent-looking face. He also made me read the first few pages of the first chapter, The Gulag Archipelago, which is an arrest, which in excruciating detail describes what it's like to be arrested. I mean, like, a different context. <sighs> he talked about the moment of arrest all the time. How it would feel when the cuffs went on my hands for the first time. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I would feel knowing I was never going to be free again. Being put in the car with cuffs on my hands. I mean, he talked about it many times in many, many different ways over years and years. 
The Gulag Archipelago is the masterwork of the late Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn, documenting his encounters with the forced labor camp system and the experiences of other prisoners documented in reports, interviews, statements, diaries, and legal filings. Larry forced Claudia to internalize the Soviet system's vast architecture of oppression during that time, and it is little surprise that her psychological torment had dire consequences. She testified about her April 2014 overdose during the trial and insisted she wasn't trying to kill herself. I felt like my life was completely falling apart. After I confessed to poisoning, it just put me in a very different headspace than I had been in because I was increasingly realizing how I could not, I could not get free of this. This was something I was going to be no matter what, you know? I would have to answer for it in some way, and I felt extremely trapped and extremely overwhelmed, and I didn't feel like there was anyone that could help me. Like, all of the conversations I would have with my parents were about how they tried to get me to poison people, which was not true. So I felt there was no one I could even have any sort of conversation about this with, and who wasn't Larry. And so I think that I just, I felt so trapped that I wanted to do something to hopefully get something to happen or get someone to see what was happening or just, you know, try not to just basically be falling down into this hole that I had been falling into. Claudia had been conditioned to associate sex with personal growth, and it was a surefire way to receive validation from Larry. She began hosting sex clubs to earn money and recalled Larry being very eager to learn about all of her exploits. He was very engaged, paying attention to me, very positive, encouraging, saying things like, Wow, you really did that. Doesn't it feel better to be, you know, this way? And he seemed happy. And he seemed, you know, like weirdly, I didn't think it was weird at the time, but proud of me. And that was something that I had not experienced from him in a very long time. It made me feel like he was being positive to me. So it made me feel like there was hope for me to get things back on track from this place I was in, which was I had poisoned everybody he cared about and loved. And so it just made me feel hopeful. Larry also started giving her assignments for sexual activity outside the club, she said. He told me to take a cab ride, take a cab ride. And at the end of the cab ride, instead of paying, suggest that I have sex with the driver instead as a payment. Claudia said she did do that, and that she told Larry about it, and that, as usual, Larry eagerly listened to all of the details. The next step in Claudia's journey would be the world of bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. And at the time, like millions of sexually active people, she found it to be a thrill and release. But Claudia's encounters were edgier than mere kink. The BDSM that I participated in the sex clubs was actually quite severe, I would say. I was in a submissive role. There was a manager at the club who one night, late at night, when most of the guests had gone home, bent me over the bar, the table that was used as a bar, and 
was running something that felt sharp all over my body. And, you know, when he had stopped doing that, like, all, all over my body, and when he stopped doing that, he... I looked up and turned around, and he had a pocket knife. A several-inch pocket knife that he had turned to the dull side and ran all over my body. I had a scar for like a year and a half or two years. It was like a thin line running over my chest and arms. Knife play wasn't as extreme as it got. She was hit with blunt instruments, including a two by four. And as usual, Larry seemed to be titillated when he heard of Claudia's encounters. He was impressed, encouraging. He said things like, specifically talking about impact play, that it felt like a release or cathartic, which I, you know, that resonated with me at the time. It did feel that way. This kind of very extreme BDSM to me at the time did feel very cathartic. Very cathartic because I had been increasingly for years, but especially since confessing to poisoning people, you know, building up a lot of self-hate that I had no outlet for. And so, you know, this was 100% like a way to release it, and it felt cathartic. Asked if it felt like a release for her self-hatred, Claudia replied, yes. This was not Claudia's first brush with BDSM. It had been Larry and two of his followers who had introduced her to it. I was at Larry's. Isabella and Iban were there. And Larry instructed Isabella to bind me with my ankle to my wrists. She did very light impact with a whip, I think. Very light. It, d- it didn't hurt. And then she used, or Larry told Iban to use the same dildo that Isabella had to try and penetrate me. And it did not fit. And it was really painful. But Larry told me, like, if you relax your mindset, it will fit. And, like... Isabella can fit this, and she's very relaxed and open, and you'll just, you'll get there, and you know, but I didn't, and that, that was the first, that was the first time I had ever experienced anything in the realm of BDSM. Trained to associate sexual pain, humiliation, and exploitation with her own personal development and affirmation, Claudia became vulnerable to Larry Ray's ultimate designs. In late 2014, Larry began suggesting that Claudia should take up sex work, and although she didn't want to do it, Claudia explained. I wanted to repair what I believe I had done to Larry, and it was it was because I wanted to repair what I believed I had done to Larry. But the extent to which I became a prostitute and the amount of people I saw and the amount of time was not because I wanted to repair. It was because I felt immense pressure from Larry to get money for him. In the next episode, we hear more about Claudia's descent into forced sex work and the ways in which Larry Ray and his co-conspirator, Isabella Pollock, managed to launder millions of dollars from a sex trafficking victim. Executive produced by Elizabeth Rome, Rachel Stockman, Stephen Tolkien, and Sam Goldberg. Edited by Brad Maybe. Researched and written by Adam Klasfeld, Eileen McFarlane, and Emily G. Thompson. 
featuring the voices of Justin Black, Arkansas-based YouTuber and owner of the Disturbing Truth YouTube channel as Santos, Paula Barros, host of Cold Case Files podcast as Claudia, and Jillian Jalali from Court Junkie as Felicia. This is Long Crimes, Devil in the Dorm.